Welcome to That's Podcasting, a movie musical podcast. I'm Cody Pasby. And I'm Paul Ponte. And this week we are setting off on a brand new journey as we step away from the classic movie musicals of yesteryear and enter... That's a matter of opinion, Cody. That's a good point, because, uh, boy, it doesn't get much more classic than a frog sitting in a swamp playing a banjo, just dreaming of what could be. And, of course, we are talking about the Muppet movie. We're going to be talking Muppets all month long, and uh, I am thrilled to be talking Muppets. This is uh, the this month would be Jim Henson's birthday. Uh, I didn't. I should have looked up how old would Jim Henson be. Who? Uh, uh, I'm sorry if I'm going to make some people feel old if they thought, man, it's been you know feels like it hasn't been that long without Jim Henson. Well, Jim Henson passed away the year I was born, so uh, it has now been 30 years without him. There's a lot of people who were supposed to be in this movie. Uh, I couldn't find, like, I, I, I thought I was going to find some easy, like, here's all the people who almost cameoed in the Muppet movie. I thought there'd be, like, a nice go-to one-stop shop list. And surprisingly, I couldn't find it. So if you've got any you know, Paul, throw them at me, because I want to know who was almost in this movie. There were a few, because apparently they had to rework the script, because certain people dropped out, but uh, no sign of that but before we delve more into the movie um what is our uh, muppet history i'll start with you paul what is your uh, muppet baby history starting when you were a muppet baby <laughs> yes as we all uh, are when we're babies dream, making our dreams come true uh i watched muppet babies when i was a kid i had vhs of the muppet babies uh i also rented uh muppet movies from the local video store uh, if anyone remember way back then, uh, you know, we were all running, trying to not have scurvy and, uh, the black plague, I believe was going on back then, but, uh, <laughs> and we all were yes. asked to be kind rewind as, uh, we enjoyed, yes. uh, the new Da Vinci, uh, paintings and, and yes, exactly. sketchings and etchings. Picasso loved to stroll around a Hollywood video or a blockbuster. <laughs> uh, no, I, I, but I remember specifically renting these from like mom and pop video stores, which are you know, an even crazier concept these days. Uh, and I remember watching the Muppet movies, loving them. I remember seeing, like, they used to have, uh, like, reruns of the Muppet show once in a while on TV, on a random channel. Disney Channel used to that. play them for years. Uh, yeah, I, I used so, to watch a lot of the Muppet show reruns on Disney Channel. Yeah, and I, and I remember, you know, not specific. Like, I watched this movie and I watched this movie, but I remember, like, moments. Like, I remember, of course, yeah. uh, you know... The guy dressed in the in the big frog costume from this movie and stuff like that. Doc Doc Hopper, yeah. Doc Hopper, yeah. Uh, Great name. And so I remember all that stuff. uh, And I grew up loving the Muppets. I mean, we're going to talk about it at some point. uh, But I really enjoyed the the reboot movies of the Muppets, uh, and that stems from loving these originals. Uh, Although, from a sensibility standpoint, if you're coming into these a little bit more having just seen the first ones, you might be a little thrown off by the the timing and uh, the structure because uh, this very much, although it is a Muppet movie, this is very much, well, it's the Muppet movie, I should say. Come on now, yeah. But it it is also a movie from 1979. Yes. And it is paced like a movie from 1979. Yes, absolutely. Although the gags come flying in hot and heavy. True. Um, I, I, did you watch this on Disney Plus? Yes, I did. Do you, I don't think the original. Why did they add that hole in the front? The original classic, like yeah, that's the new. Movie. That is like, new. 
yeah that that whole that whole thing is is brand new uh they they added that as some sort of weird branding because i so disney owns the rights to the original muppet movie the original classic as it were yep kermit's firstborn yeah the the great the great uh muppet caper i believe muppets take manhattan i believe does is not owned by them even though they own yeah it's some weird i think they own it but they don't have the rights to stream it because it's not on disney plus all the other muppet movies are there except Mm -hmm. that one uh and then I think there's a couple other ones. I think Muppet in, Muppets in Space is also kind of a weird uh, in between. Like, I, I, yeah, it's it's you know a what? Strange, they have different distributions. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. There's like a weird distribution muck muckety muck that uh, yeah they have not quite gotten ah. it all fixed up. Well, no, because TriStar is owned by Sony. Yeah, which has nothing to do with Disney. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, they are by Disney. I'm mixing the Spider-Man. Uh, are you are you leading us on to something we don't know here, Paul? That Disney just sent. Uh, Fuck it, we're gonna buy. Buy, buy stocks. Buy. Yeah. Um, no, or is it sell? Who knows? Uh, no, they should have included this in the Spider-Man deal. They said, and we will take you know in perpetuity oh. Spider-Man plus you give us Muppets take Manhattan. This is like an Oswald the Rabbit for Al Michael situation here. Is that that's what you're what I'm saying? saying? That's what they should have done. We'll give you the Spider-Man. We'll do this whole Spider-Man thing if you give us Muppets uh, Take Manhattan. Would have been worth it. Absolutely. Yeah, and then Muppet Christmas Carol is Buena Vista. That's a which Disney course, movie. Yeah, Disney. Muppets Treasure uh, Island, also a Disney movie. Yeah. Great and then Muppet Muppets Caper. in Space is, is something different. Great Muppet Caper, is, the distribution is, is owned universal. by Disney now. But it is owned now by Disney. It is solely owned mm. by Disney now, I believe. So. so they just couldn't pry it out of Sony's cold... Semi dead hands. The boy, the whole like fight to to get the rights of the Muppets is all very interesting and also incredible. We all remember the Great Muppet Wars. The Great Muppet Wars of the late eighties in the early nineties. It's it's really interesting, but also kind of incredibly depressing at the same time. Um, There is a great mini series uh, on the YouTube channel Defunct Land. Uh, that goes into the history of Jim Henson and his life that does a great job of summarizing all of the legal battles he went through and and, and all of his life and career, but really uh, goes into what that did to him. And in many ways uh, that the legal battle to for the rights of the Muppets, um, some say, ended up shortening his life and ended up killing him. He just was under so much stress. So uh, very sad and fascinating, but uh, let's not get bogged down by sadness because this is such an incredibly bright and happy movie that uh, embodies the spirit and the and the joy that Jim Henson brought to so many people. Uh, I think I watched The Great Muppet Caper. I think I watched like the first 15 minutes of The Great Muppet Caper uh, about a million times. Whenever I go to my grandparents' house, that would be the movie they would throw on for us. And I loved like the first 15 minutes, but it was also like they put it on so we would take a nap. So I would always <laughs> nod off about 10 to 15 in. Uh, I also remember watching like this 4th of July Muppet special all the time on video. So, yeah, big into the Muppets. That And then there was the Muppet Show reboot in the 90s that was on for like a minute. Uh, do, you, do you recall that one? It was on ABC. Yeah. 
I remember um, watching it. The one that sticks out to me the most vividly is the episode with Prince, but he goes by artists formerly known as Prince, and the whole gag the entire time is the Muppets have no idea what to call him, and they're just struggling. So, in only I, think I remember someone having like a big cardboard cut out of the symbol at some point in the in the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they really really drove that point home throughout the show. So the Muppets are wonderful. The Muppets are great. The Muppets are, shall I say, the Muppets are perfect. They really are. Um, Let's talk about this movie, which is, I really is the pinnacle of of all the Muppet movies. Not just because it is the namesake, the Muppet movie, but um, it, it's great. It does everything great. It really, really does. Uh, the The gags are great. The characters are great. It captures the essence of what they are. And on top of it all, the cherry about seven hundred cherries on top. The music is way better. I would I would argue way better than it needed to be. It's like yeah. classic. It's it is among some of the best music um in a movie musical. And maybe some people think I sound crazy or sacrilegious to be saying that after talking about some classic musicals, but really, it's that good. The music's so good. Yeah, and uh by all accounts, you know, how many times have you heard this story, Cody? All right, we got a we got like a TV show or a property of some kind. Now we're going to make a movie out of it. And this time, instead of having it be just like the thing we are doing, we're going to have it to where this is how all the characters met each other. And how many times has that failed? Every time, except this time. Yeah. Really, it's, that's it. It's, it's pretty crazy. And then to go on uh, how successful it ended up becoming uh, at the time, uh, I don't know how much you go into the box office in your thing, so I don't know if I'm stepping on your toes here. No, go ahead. Well... It is the tenth highest grossing film of nineteen seventy nine. Uh, Not nothing. Yeah, box office gross of sixty five million. Uh, I believe it ended up doing seventy six by the end. I, I think it was it kept grossing on to the next year. That's why. Yeah. Uh, now these are the, these are some of the movies that are above it. Just to give you an idea of how high this is, you got Kramer vs Kramer, Amityville Horror, Rocky Two, Apocalypse Now, Star Trek: The Motion Picture, Alien. 10, The Jerk, and Moonraker. It's a lot of big movies. There's a lot of big franchises in there. Uh, yeah. A lot of seminal films of the time, of the year. And right, the, the Muppet movie totally fits in among that legion of, of gigantic movies of that era. And uh, it should have come as no surprise that the Muppet movie was as big as it was because uh, by 1978, Jim Henson's Muppets are international superstars. The Muppet Show was entering its third season, and at that point was airing in over 100 countries. By some metrics, the most watched show in the world at that point. So TV has been conquered, also thanks to the ever-popular Sesame Street, which had been on the air for now 10 years, uh, the big screen beckoned. Originally, Henson wanted to direct this movie himself, but... Uh, the producers of the film said that he should probably stick to the puppeteering side. Let's let somebody with more concrete, with more experience as a director, although Henson did have experience as an experimental film director back in his college days. That's originally what he wanted to do. Uh, he d actually kind of fell into puppeteering as sort of a side gig, as as a second option. So he originally wanted to do experimental films and um, wanted to get his first crack at this. Um, of yeah, course, and then it made yeah. a bunch of money, and then he said, "Now I get to direct the second one." Exactly. Assholes. Yeah, <laughs> I think he ends up directing all 
of his movies. Every Jim Henson. Uh, no, no, no. That's not the case. Frank Oz, of course. But it was him and Frank Oz, basically, from that point. Yeah, on. it did, did take Manhattan. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, of course, Brian Henson would go on to do Muppet Christmas Carol. So Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, the main challenge for the film was, of course, figuring out how do you bring the Muppets into the real world? Uh, before this, no movie had had a hand puppet act with its entire body appearing on screen. This is the very first time that ever happens. They were only seen, from, of course, from the waist up. So, But showing Kermit with his legs, of course, is a crucial plot point in this movie. What with all yep. the, uh, you know, delectable frog legs uh, looking around, you know. Just uh, that that scene in the bar where he's like frog legs out grotten frog legs like I've never eaten a frog leg in my life. I cannot imagine it's made that many different ways. The director of the film ends up being James Frawley, known at that point for his work on the hit TV show The Monkees. He actually directed half of the show's 58 episodes. And for some reason, the line that kept going in my head was... Uh, from the big Lebowski, a bulk of the series when they're, uh, you know what I'm talking about, where they're seeing him yes. in the iron lung. Anyway. Yeah, James Frawley, the monkey's bulk of the series. Uh, he's brought on to direct the movie. He, along with Jim Henson and Frank Oz, filmed several camera tests outside of London to test how the characters would appear in real-world locations. Uh Actor Austin Pendleton, who ends up who plays Max in the movie, recalled that the film was shot, quote, on a very unhappy set because Jim Frawley was very unhappy directing the movie. Uh, I noticed that this and I noticed that was the only time the Muppet people use an outside person to direct a Muppet movie. They never did that again. After that, it was either Jim Henson or Frank Oz. And I would have liked to have been in one of those because those sets were very harmonious. But this was not. So. <laughs> There you go. Frawley, not uh, not a Muppet man, apparently. Uh, the entire creative team for the film, other than Frawley, worked on The Muppet Show. Henson, of course, is in his creative partner, Frank Oz. Writers, Jack Burns and Jerry Jewell. And, uh, of course, the executive producer would be the Lord Lou Grade, the man who was responsible for being the only person who believed in the Muppets and also responsible for having one of the great names in the entertainment industry of all time. I mean, anyone who goes by Lord uh, in the credits, I'm in, you know? Yep. The film turned out to be an even more arduous process than anyone might have expected, so here's just a sampling of some of the challenges that the crew faced. For one, Jim Henson spent an entire day in a 50-gallon steel drum submerged in a pond for the opening scene uh, with Kermit in the swamp for Rainbow Connection. There's actually, if you can find it, uh, anyone who's listening or, wa or you know, listening to this, excuse me, uh, there's a, uh, a drawing of the, the setup in which he's underneath the, uh, the water. And I think it might actually be sketched by Jim Henson himself or someone, but it's it's if you'll find it online, there's a drawing and it shows him like in like the barrel thing under the water. It looks insane. It's wild. It's just the amount of practical stuff they did on this movie. One that blew my mind, and I'll get to it as we talk about the movie itself, um, is just phenomenal. Uh, I know it's 1979, so they have to do a lot of practical stuff, but there are definitely ways they could have cut corners, and Jim Henson refused to cut corners. He wanted to do it the right way. Uh, that scene for the Rainbow Connection, 
uh, took five days to shoot altogether. So basically, he's stuck in a steel drum for about five days. Uh, the illusion of Fozzie driving the Studebaker was achieved by having a little person drive the car via a remote control from the trunk using a television monitor to guide his steering. Uh, the puppeteers would lie on the seat or floor and not see anything. Uh, the first time they tested it, the television monitor went blank. And the driver had to be talked through the scene by the assistant director on a walkie-talkie, saying things like, a little to the right now, to the left, hold it, hold it. My God. Now I'm seeing the picture now. Is this the... Oh, wow. Yeah, Paul's just showing me a picture of the of the steel drum that he was... Wow, he's standing in, submerged in the water. Look at the little TV monitor. This little monitor. My God, that's so cool. That's so, so cool. Awesome. I love that. Uh, the other amazing trick in this movie is anytime you see the Muppets full-bodied, dancing, walking, riding the bikes. Bicycles. The bicycles. The bicycles. That's is, the one. And it's the one where you could tell they're so proud of it. They're like, we're going to put him riding a bicycle in every freaking movie after this, baby, because yep. it looks so good. It's such – it's to this day, it's so impressive that they are able to make that work. So to have Kermit ride the bike in a full body shot, a Kermit puppet with legs was posed onto the seat and his legs and arms were attached to the pedals and handlebars. An overhead crane with a marionette system held the bicycle through strong strings invisible to the camera, guiding the bike forward. The crane and system were out of the camera's frame of vision. So that's basically they're just doing some really like the biggest, most impressive marionette you, you could see. Um, yeah, that that whole trick it, it still blows my mind. I think the Fozzie and Kermit dancing, they were uh, doing the same thing, sort of marionettes, but on a blue screen. So you can't actually see that they're making them dance like that. whole lot of things like that. Uh, the scene with Kermit and Rolf. Uh, basically, the, those two characters never have scenes together because Jim Henson famously played both of those characters. So uh, a lot of like camera tricks and having a different person controlling Rolf and uh, a whole lot went into that. Uh, the film, filled, of course, with a ton of meta humor and satirical jokes about the entertainment industry, also features a ton of cameos and sets the standard for the Muppets movies, Muppet movies to come. Really a who's who of 70s celebrities uh, in a very nice ode to one of the pioneers of puppeteering, Edgar Bergen, who uh, died just before uh, this film was released. It would be his final film appearance in the movie as dedicated in his honor. But the one truly bizarre celebrity cameo that, oh my God, I wish this had happened as it would have been so dumb and wonderful. The original script calls for a cameo by former Secretary of State Henry Kissinger, which never oh, came to fruition. <laughs> maybe maybe it's good it didn't happen. That would not have aged well. That would not have aged well at all. Oh, my God. The script even notes, quote, Yes, folks, the real Henry Kissinger. We know it's impossible, but we'll get him anyway. The elaborate cameo would have played on Kissinger's desire to appear in the movie, popping up in several bits, once as a sheriff and then a busboy, uh, each time being told by Kermit there's no part for him. Uh, Kissinger's ambition is finally achieved when the Muppet heads uh, on Mount Rushmore agree to let Henry hang out with them. What a weird... George Washington a telling weird. Henry Kissinger, Henry, you're just all right. 
Oh, anyway. I didn't even get to the best part, Paul. That leads to a shot of Kissinger's face being carved in the rock, expressing gratitude. <laughs> you know what, though? No. Nothing more fitting of America than have Henry Kissinger as the fifth head on Mount Rushmore, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Imagine now, like, imagine if we found out that, like, when they were going to make the SpongeBob movie in, like, 2003, it was like, man, we really tried to get Donald Rumsfeld for this, but just didn't have the time, you know? Oh, boy. Yeah. It's like a weird, like, I just it just reminds me of, like, seeing, like, people on, like, Parks and Rec during a rewatch just pop up, like, oh, yeah. Oh, look, that guy's running for president now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, that's that's not weird. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Henry Kissinger, happy 7,000th birthday. He's never going to die, by the way. Oh, no. I think I've just resigned. That we're just, we just need to accept Not that. as long as they give him fresh infants to chew into. <laughs> okay, the iconic music for the film was written uh, by Kenny Asher and Paul Williams. Really, I think what makes this movie go a completely different level is the fact that this music is as good as it is, as I mentioned. The score receives an, an Academy Award nomination for Best Original Song Score, and Rainbow Connection was nominated for Best Original Song. Why didn't it win? Your guess is as good as mine. Williams got the job after having a conversation with Jim Henson after his appearance on The Muppet Show back in 1976. He first wrote songs for 1977's Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas television special before working on the Muppet movie uh, with Kenny Asher. This is also the part where I have to mention, please, please, if you're looking for a great laugh, just YouTube Paul Williams, Tonight Show, Planet of the Apes. That's all I'll say. Okay. A delightful bit of... Uh, Goofy, zany, 70s late night comedy. It's absolutely wonderful. Uh, Williams, of course, is one of the most prolific songwriters of the 1970s. He wrote some of the Carpenters' most popular hits, including We've Only Just Begun and the song Evergreen, which was the theme song for Barbara Streisand's A Star is Born, which won him and Asher the Academy Award for Best Original Song. But uh, you could argue... That maybe his most prolific pop culture contribution comes just a few years later when he writes the theme song for the hit TV show, The Love Boat. Mm. The Love so, Boat. Arguable. Da, 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 Rainbow da, da, Connection da, 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 or or Love Boat. What, where are we going with a pop culture contribution for Paul Williams? Uh, oh, we've only just, well, you know, The Carpenters. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, it's Rainbow There's also that. Uh, yeah, I think uh, maybe the, the Carpenter estate would say, hello, hi, three number one hits he wrote for us. So, uh, yeah. Uh, as you mentioned, hard work paid off for Henson and company as the Muppet movie successfully transferred the heart and manic energy from the show to the big screen. It goes on to be the 10th highest grossing movie of that year. And in 2009, it was selected for preservation by the National Film Registry. Let's dive into the movie. We begin with the Muppets sitting down at a private screening uh, to watch this movie, which is the story of how they all met. And uh, look, if I wanted to mention every gag, I like to mention the gags that I like throughout this movie. I'm going to miss a bunch of them because there's too many 
good ones. This movie There's a lot is of gags. so chock full of them and very few miss. That's also what's so good about it. Uh, there's maybe a couple that don't hit that hard, but like all of them are pretty good, you know? Uh, of course, it's just mayhem to begin the movie. Um, eventually, they, they start the thing as Animal is going to go crazy, and we get Rainbow Connection, the song that is the most iconic from this film. Um, it ends up being chosen as the 74th greatest movie song of all time on AFI's 100 Years 100 Songs list. I'm going to go out on a limb. That's a little low. That is. That's a little low. More than a little low. That's really low. To me, that's a... I'm looking at the rest of this list now. Yeah, so, uh, that's what <laughs> I'm curious of. What? What list is this? What is, what is it called again? This is American Film Institute's 100 Years, 100 Songs. It was from 2004. Uh, I mean, the top five is pretty hard to argue. Over the Rainbows, number one, As Time Goes By from Casablanca, Singing in the Rain. Moon River... And White Christmas. You got Mrs. Okay. Robinson, When You Wish Upon okay. a Star, The Way okay, We this, Were. Okay, the list is pretty good. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, now it's like, oh, this is hard. Then The Way We Were, Staying Alive, The Sound of Music. Um, Yeah, but I don't know. I think there is a place for it within. Um, Yeah, here's the thing, because they have songs from West Side Story here, which. Okay, yeah, West Side Story is a movie but i don't know it's not a song written for the movie you know what i mean anyway yeah i see what you're saying jailhouse rock by elvis presley's on this list it almost feels like cheating but i guess it's from the movie so i don't know uh yeah there's 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 definitely i think there's room for it at least let's say top 30 this is it could it could get in the top 30 here it's a tough list. This is actually a much tougher list than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. I'm looking at some other ones, though, where it could definitely... 74 seems low. Still seems low. But that's just me. I digress. Yeah, I mean... yeah. I, the windmills of your mind from the Thomas Crown Affair is above it? I mean, come on. There, There's... Yeah. I, I think at least the top... I was, It keeps going down. But I think I originally said top 30... Look, if it was top 50, I'd think that's about right. That sounds right. Yeah. That's a good spot it is, for it. It's crazy because, I mean, like, fame is 51. Jeez. <laughs> this is a great a list. tough list. It, and that's the thing is it's hard to argue. We, you know, maybe we do a bonus episode about that list because a, it's a really tough list to, to yeah. argue with. But there are some things there that, that, I, that I'll take issue with. Uh, this song also has been covered and covered and covered again. Uh, my goodness. I'm now on the Wikipedia page for this song. And here's just a sampling of some of the people who have uh, who have covered this song. Uh, Lea Salonga, The Carpenters, Kenny Loggins, Willie Nelson. That's my favorite version. I love the Willie Nelson version of the song. Sarah McLaughlin, Jason Mraz, The Dixie Chicks, Johnny Mathis, uh, Weezer. Uh, it just goes on. Gwen Stefani, Lisa Loeb. Yeah, the Weezer, uh, they, they covered, I believe, with uh, Haley Williams from Paramore. Uh, it was on yeah, that they CD. They did a whole they Muppets released... album. Yeah, they did a whole Muppets album when, when the new reboot came out. Uh, the Muppets, 
And uh, there's a really great cover on there from Alkaline Trio of all bands, uh, who's like a goth punk band, yep. and they cover Moving Right Along, and it's fucking great. Nice. Uh, but uh, one of my favorite covers uh, from my pop punk days of the uh, early 2000s, uh, Me First in the Gimme Gimmies do a cover of uh, Rainbow Connection, and uh, it's a wow. lot of fun. All right. I'll have, oh, yeah. there you go. Yeah, Me First in the Gimme Gimmies on the 1990 album, Me First in the Gimme Gimmies are a drag. Uh, there you go. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I feel like uh, everyone's got their own favorite version of, oh, look at that. Casey Musgraves performed it with Willie Nelson back at the 2019 CMAs, so it keeps going on and on. Yeah, beautiful song. I I love this song so much. Why are there so many covers of of this song <laughs> about connection. rainbows? Yeah, that's the other thing. He starts off with the line, "Why are there so many songs about rainbows?" Kermit, as far as I know, there is one song about rainbows. Now there are two. There are not that many, buddy. Let's find out, Cody. How many songs about rainbows are there? Oh my god, <laughs> we don't have time. <laughs> Uh, well, we got Rainbow in the Dark. <laughs> okay. All right. There's three. Uh, over the Rainbow. That's okay. Uh, already mentioned. The Rainbow Connection sunshine, already mentioned. Lollipops and Rainbows, everything. All right. There's four. Um, the, the Rolling Stones, She's a Rainbow. All right. Five. Okay. Fair enough. There. Are, why are there so many songs about rainbows? <laughs> Ooh, somebody has ranking the 10 best songs about rainbows. Oh, if well... Number two has to be Rainbow Connection. Number one has to be Over the Rainbow, I'd imagine. Pocket Full of Rainbows by Elvis Presley. Okay, yeah, there's another one. Well, some of these are new, though, so oh. eh, that doesn't count. He wrote it at the time, you know? Yeah. So, well, yeah, there's a, there's a few. I but, you know, stand corrected. But there are there. also a lot of covers about songs about rainbows. Yes, there are. There are a lot. And warranted, because the song is wonderful and beautiful and um, yeah, it's it's a great song. One of the best movie songs. So Kermit lives a simple life in a swamp. Uh, I believe it's in Florida. Uh, yep. He After the song, he's approached by Bernie, the agent, as he says, played by Dom DeLuise. Uh, take a drink. It's our first cameo of the movie. And uh, only as DeLuise could do, his, um, he's DeLuising it up, you know, as it were, <laughs> doing you know what I mean when I say that yeah. you, you know you're doing a Deluise. That's what it means. We all know. It's what so it funny. Like I remember watching this when I was younger, and like I had no idea who he was. I just remember his face as like I've seen him on a lot of things. Yep, I've seen him in like basically they use his likeness in every cartoon. Any any cartoon where his voice is yeah. used, uh, he looks like that character like spot on. Yeah, he well, is. I'm gonna go ahead and take a stab in the dark. I'm gonna say when I was a kid, the only ones like I knew knew were uh, Steve Martin, Richard Pryor, uh, and I think there was one more. Mel Brooks, because I watched uh, Spaceballs and Robin Hood Tights and a bunch of other things. Yeah, I think the first time I watched this, uh, anyone who was in a Mel Brooks movie, I knew. So like Madeline Kahn, Mel Brooks, Cloris Leachman, I knew them. And then, yeah, as you mentioned, the other ones, Richard Pryor, uh, Steve Martin, Mel, uh, you know, Mel Brooks himself. Um, they, by the way, before we keep going, did a great job. They did a great job of picking celebrities that even watching it in 2020, 
I'm not thinking who are these guys. Yeah. Not, there's not very many where I'm like, who's this guy? Who's this person? Yeah. Like it's aged pretty well where these are people yeah, who are real... still in iconic, were in iconic movies and have their legacies live on. Yeah. It's a real who's who of uh, yeah. names. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, Bernie, the agent uh, tells Kermit that there are auditions being held for frogs who want to become rich and famous. How convenient. Inspired by the idea of making millions of people happy. Kermit, hops on his bike, and we see that great shot of him all rolling around on his bike, moving those pedals as he sets off on his cross-country trip to Los Angeles. After nearly being flattened by a steamroller and horrified by a billboard for fried frog legs, Kermit heads into the El Slizo bar for a bite to eat. All right, uh, here we go. Get your shots ready. We have a cameo by James Coburn, who gets tossed out of the bar, and he says, I'm the owner. Uh, Madeline Kahn, who shows up looking very Blazing Saddles-esque, very sultry. Uh, Telly Savalas, who shows up. And uh, if you have not checked it out, I highly recommend. What is it, Paul? Is it in uh, Podcast of the Rides uh, City Walk Saga, where they go in mm -hmm. great detail about Telly Savalas's, um time spent at the hotel outside of Universal Studios? Yes. It's delightful. <laughs> It really is. The stories of Telly Savalas being wonderful and drunk, parading around that Universal Studios hotel. Delightful. Uh, and then Carol Kane also shows up here as well. Uh, a recurring gag. She also shows up a little bit later. It's also here where we first encounter Fozzie Bear, a hapless comedian who is the bane of the bargoers' existence. Fozzie's having a tough time. Uh, my favorite little bit here is when he says, there once was a sailor so fat, then the guy breaks the bottle. How fat was he? <laughs> That's the best. And then just so fat that nobody said anything about him. Uh, wonderful. Uh, so Fozzie having a tough time. So Kermit tries to help him out, tells the piano player, also another celebrity, Paul Williams right there, uh, to play something snappy and tries to help Fozzie salvage the set with a dance. And that's where you get the the full body dance. They really knock out, like they're trying to show off real early in this movie. Uh, yeah. With Kermit riding the bike. Now you're going to see Fozzie and Kermit full well, on dance. That, well, the first thing, I think what they want to do is be like, this is not the show. Yeah. This is, this is what we can do to make it different. And like, yeah. I noticed that, I noticed that a lot with like uh, TV shows turned movies, like, Downton Abbey, when they made a movie, they were like, boom, we got, like, crane shots. Like, we got all kinds of stuff that, like, they never had in the show. Like, very, like, specific things. And, like, same with, uh, I'm trying to think, even, like, Entourage had more shots. And I was like, this is crazy. Like, it's Entourage. Who cares? But, <laughs> like, I feel like the second you try to make, like, a movie version of a show, they're like, we need to show you what we can do now. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Up the ante. And they definitely do that in this by Kermit showing off those gams. Looking good. So they try to rile up the crowd, get them on their good side, but to no avail. After the bar patrons are fooled by a classic Fozzie gag, drinks on the house, everybody goes on top of the house, rim shot. Good stuff. Uh, Kermit invites Fozzie on his journey. And the two set out in Fozzie's 1951 Studebaker. The two new friends are being pursued by entrepreneur Doc Hopper, uh, played by Charles Durning, who is the, uh, let's see, he's been in a lot of the 
biggest movies of the 70s, The Sting, uh, Dog Day Afternoon, and here he is as the <laughs> the adversary in the Muppet movie. Uh, I love that they got a dude with gravitas to be oh, yeah. the adversary. I love it. It's it's such a such a great. It makes it so much better, and they continue that with the reboot, uh, yes. or not the reboot with the, with the Muppets. Uh, I forget the actor's name. Uh, Chris Cooper uh, is is Chris the villain. Cooper, yeah, yes, and I, I think it works so much better when you have a more serious stone face villain, because then when the comedy happens with them, it's a lot more funny. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You know, the the, the Leslie Nielsen, uh, uh, you know, prospect. That's what exactly. it is. You know, Leslie yeah. Nielsen in airplane and and so on and so forth. Uh, there he's pursued by Doc Harper and his assistant Max, who attempt to convince Kermit to be the new spokes frog for Hopper's struggling French fried frog legs restaurant franchise. After showing him a, an example of the commercials they're doing, of course, Hopper in the frog suit, Kermit turns down his offer, and he and Max set off on a cross country chase to force Kermit to be the spokes frog for his restaurant. But as Kermit and Fozzie hit the road, we get uh, another classic song in this movie moving right along uh another one that is just full of just fun bits and is so i I love this movie so much and because it is such a perfect balance of light-hearted fun with super goofy super irreverent humor uh and this song i feel like just so encapsulates like the vibe of this movie so well it's so funny and it's it's charming and cute and uh, I love everything about it. it. Warms my heart every time this song is on. Yeah, I I really really enjoy this song. Uh, it's like you said. It's not only is it like perfect for like little like montage driving as, as it shows them doing, but it's just a great song. Like it's not just a funny song. It's really catchy. Uh, just from the opening. Okay, I'm in. Like it's, it's 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 you know. Again, when you have a pop, when you have a songwriting duo that has made some of the best pop hits of the '70s, you're expecting stuff that is just, you know, so instantly catchy. And of course, this also has the cameo of Big Bird, of course, with Carol Spinney in the Big Bird costume, saying, "I'm going to New York to break it in public television." Great little bit there. Again, if uh, I already mentioned it, the Defunctland Jim Henson series is great. And one thing I learned from it was that Jim Henson had such like a um, he didn't hate Sesame Street by any means, but I think he had like a very um, jaded relationship with it. Like he obviously was proud of what he made, but never really set out to do children's television. And I think always wanted to break away from that really hard. So, uh yeah, like I said, it's clearly something he's proud of, and I think he became much more proud of it as the years went on, and he realized the impact it had on children. And uh, but I think at first he was so so like didn't want that to define him, uh, which is why even the earlier Muppet stuff is much more crass and much more adult. Uh, yeah, he really wanted to escape that. Yeah, I, I almost compare it not in the same way as far as crassness because the two projects are equally crass, but it almost reminds me of when Matt Groening was like, you know, 20 years into The Simpsons, and he's like, I, w- I want something with a little bit less overhead as to what I'm doing. So then he goes and makes Futurama, and, you know, and it feels like that became, like, its own identity, even though it's made by the same creator, even though, like, all this stuff, you just felt like it was a completely different thing. And that's kind of what it reminds me of. Just like, yep. 
oh, like, you know, it's like the reins are finally taken off of Jim Henson and he gets to create what he wants with his characters. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly what it was. And really, that's his whole life is that even after the Muppets, it's like now I'm trying to escape the Muppets. Like it, it's, it was always that with him. So Kermit and Fozzie, after this delightful song, pull over after seeing a billboard for Doc Hoppers with Kermit's face plastered on it. Hopper and Max are waiting for them at the billboard. Hopper tries once again to convince Kermit, but once again, Kermit refuses and they hit the road again. The two try to find their way back on the road to California, but get distracted and nearly crash into an old church. Uh, They try to take a quick nap at that point and Fozzie basically just falls asleep but are woken up by some loud music coming from inside the church, and that's where they meet the rock band Dr. Teeth and the Electric Mayhem, and the band's manager, Scooter. And they give a copy of the script to the band so that instead of having to tell them why are they there, what's their story, uh, they can just catch up on the story. Yes. Uh, One of my also favorite recurring uh, gags of the movie is just, oh, yeah, let's just catch up on the script here. Uh, And then, of course, it pays off later on in the movie. It's great. It's a very Mel Brooksy joke, too. Very Mel Brooks. Very, very Mel Brooks. There's this this movie, I think, is much more in the vein of a, a Mel Brooks style comedy for sure for kids. Like this is like this is nice. This is a nice entry. Like if you want to show kids Mel Brooks, a nice way to start it off is with the Muppet movie, and then maybe move to like probably Young Frankenstein would be the next one to go to after that. Yeah, yeah. Muppets humor is always interesting because it's always like it ranges from like the absolute silly to like puns to sometimes very dry like little thing like they 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 really have like a, a it runs the gamut on on humor and i kind of yeah. like that because i feel like literally as you get older you you discover more jokes in a movie you've seen plenty of times before yep yep exactly it's it's good at any age this movie after reading about their woes, the band decides to help them out with a clever plot device. In this case, a montage where they disguise Fozzie's Studebaker and we get the song Can You Picture That? Sort of a psychedelic. Mm. Uh, mm. God, I love this song so much. It's oh. just a, another one. It's just a cool ass song. Sort of psychedelic, funky, all put together uh, for this awesome little rock sort of poppy song that uh, just, oh, it, it's awesome. Just pops off the screen and. Uh, uh, love the song and was it was it a couple of years ago or was it last year that Dr. Teeth and the Electric Mayhem were like the band that was in between sets at Outside Lands, like legitimately were performing, oh. which to me is the coolest thing. I'd be like, I don't even care. Like you're, you have the biggest artists in the world here. But like that's uh, 2016. Jan- that's Janice right there. At put respect. Put respect on Janice's name, okay? That's a legend, right? Yeah, there. this song is so flipping good. I, it is on like my regular Spotify rotation. Like, like Rainbow Connection's a beautiful song, of course. But you do have to be kind of in, the, in a ballad mood. Yep. You know, you have to. It's it's a very like okay. I'm gonna sit and I'm gonna really listen to Rainbow Connection. But like this song, you can just groove to. Just a it's, feel good yeah. tune. It's so. Much and again, fun. songs that start off immediate. Wow! You're like I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. Ready? Like give it to me. Yeah. It, it's it's awesome. I love everything about it. I love them. Uh, and they finish. Super, my pimpin, favorite, pimpin my favorite line. Do you, what's your favorite line in the song? Oh God, 
I couldn't. I could not give you my favorite line. They're so good. My my favorite one that for some reason I just find myself randomly saying sometimes is Aurora Borealis shining down That's Dallas. That's the one. <laughs> That's, you're right. That's the best line of <laughs> Doctor Teeth just going Aurora Borealis. It's the best. Shining down in Dallas. <laughs> Can you picture that? <laughs> I love that. I love that. It's it's such a good song. I love everything about that song. Uh, uh, it's listen to the song after no recording again. Wonderful nonsense lyrics. I, I love a good song with nonsense lyrics. It's great. So the car has been pimped out, and uh, Kermit and Fozzie leave the church, and the band says, maybe they'll catch up with them and exploit their wealth in Los Angeles. That's, they love that line. Driving on, they nearly get caught by Har- Hopper again before disguising themselves in a well-placed psychedelic billboard. Back on the road, they narrowly avoid a truck, or so they think. A car that is a uh, advertises itself as a plumbing service, also an entertainment service, uh, somehow ends up on top of theirs, and they are joined by Gonzo and his girlfriend Camilla, the chicken. Uh, Camilla, looking, you look great, honey. Uh, they trade in their failing vehicle at a used car lot owned by a sleazy used car salesman. Another cameo here, played by Milton Berle here, uh, where they meet Sweetums. They buy a car for the low, low price of eleven ninety five, thanks to uh, some uh, mistakes there by uh, just a one bad decimal point by Sweetums there. So just a uh, shade under $12 for a brand new car. So they invite Sweetums, hey, come along with us, but he seems to run away. The others drive off only for Sweetums to emerge and reveal that he had only gone to pack his things as he then tr- continues to chase them for the rest of the film. Our next stop is the Bogan County Fair, where the group shows up just in time for the fair's beauty pageant, hosted by none other than, you guess another cameo, Elliot Gould this time. The winner of the pageant is none other than Miss Piggy, as selected by legendary ventriloquist Edgar Bergen and his puppet Charlie McCarthy. Uh, I really, uh, you could tell they were probably just like, and just hang out on the camera as as long as we need here. He definitely gets a little extra time to like chew up this to uh to get uh, some screen time, which I appreciate that they did that. That was a very nice little nod. Kermit immediately takes a liking to Piggy, and Piggy becomes love struck with Kermit, and envisions a life with her new love at first sight, with the song "Never Before." Never again. The first of we basically get a Piggy song like this in like every movie up until the new movies yeah. where it's just her dreaming of the, of a life her and Kermit can have or could, or once had maybe when they were Muppet babies. Um, a fact that I couldn't believe when I uh, read this, this song was originally supposed to be sung by none other than Johnny Mathis. But interesting. Producers believed that Frank Oz singing it as Piggy was so funny that they opted for Oz's Piggy as well instead of the more traditional love ballad sung by Johnny Mathis, which bravo, that was the yeah. right choice. It was absolutely the right choice. Lots of great gags in this scene. I, the one I particularly like is Piggy just sitting on the rock as Kermit's just drowning. <laughs> <laughs> so silly it's so silly yeah so great uh of course this is like the first of many times we also see them get married also if i have any big gripe about modern muppets and uh 
I should say, have you watched Muppets Now? The new Muppet no, show they have? I it's, haven't, unfortunately. It's good. And I'm, I'm so happy to report it's good. The Muppets are good again. And God, it just makes me happy to say that. The other good one, uh, not Muppets, but it's made by the Jim Henson Company, is Earth to Ned. Uh, the okay. alien talk show with an incre- oh. incredible alien puppet. Oh, dude, that that's I saw the stills of that show. That is straight out of Farscape. Yeah, incredible like, set. Also, also a Jim Henson production. Yes, uh, yeah. Farscape. So meant, yeah, uh, of course. Uh, incredible production. The puppets look incredible. The writing team is like some of the funniest people writing on television right now, and it's great. It's it's so so good. Nothing quite like it on TV. So highly recommend it if you're looking for new Muppet stuff. I have to digress here because I just noticed uh, the that you know of course Rainbow Connection was nominated for Best Original Song, but it did not win the Academy Award for Best Original Song. Right, which the, yeah, the winner was "It Goes Like It Goes" from Norma Ray. Which, I mean. Sorry to Norma Ray fans, but come on. I mean, okay, well, you know how we always talk about, like, the most historic, like, Oscar gaffes? Like, how did this movie win when this movie actually won? What? Like, this needs to be talked about more that The Rainbow Connection did not win. Yeah, it's kind of insane that it doesn't end up winning when it's... Like, okay, Best Original Song Score and Adaptation, it was also nominated, Mm -hmm. but what, what won was All That Jazz. I get that. That makes sense. Okay. I guess. For score, I get that all that jazz could win over Even this. Even that I would, I don't know. I'd I'm argue. just saying I could get it. Right, I get I, it. Yeah. I can get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But original song. No. Is this, is it goes like it goes in the, in the you know, top songs of movie history? No. 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 Uh, really, when you think about it, the Muppet, that the Rainbow Connection is to the Muppets what When You Wish Upon a Star is to Disney. Which I feel like says everything. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's up. Yeah, that's a good call. That's good what job, it is, Cody. That's it, like, that's that's what it is. So it's, it should be up there higher with in regards to where does this rank among movie songs? You know, it anyway. is as the Zoomers say, iconic. So that was, I thought everybody says that. <laughs> well, iconic that... has a little bit more stank on it now. It's a little really. It's a little I didn't realize that. It's, a, it's a little hip now. I. All right. Just, except, except they they except say, the definition is is exactly what it's always been. Well, no, now now anything is iconic though. <laughs> anything is like okay. Well, like literally, they're like they're like Timothy Chalamet's suit at the award ceremony, iconic. And you're like, all right. <laughs> well, that's like the uh, or it's like Zadaya arching her eyebrow, iconic. And okay, you're like, fair okay. Enough. Fair okay, enough. this this needs to stop. I mean, that's but that's like us kind of uh, using amazing to describe everything. It's like oh, okay, it's yeah. Unfortunately, a bit by a now canceled comedian. I'm not even going to mention his name, but he did that whole bit about not everything can be fucking amazing. Like, yeah, it's true. Yeah. Oh, anyway. So Kermit invites Piggy to have some ice cream with them before they hit the road, but she misunderstands and thinks that she's been invited to head west with them. Meanwhile, Fozzie grabs some ice cream cones and. Some comedy tips from uh, Bob Hope. Hey, come on. Uh, and then Richard Pryor also shows up. Boy, you have Richard Pryor and Bob Hope back to back, by the way, which is uh, right? something else. 
Uh, Richard Pryor convinces Gonzo to buy a whole bunch of balloons for his lovely chicken, Camilla. And uh, he decides to go for it. Piggy joins them on their journey, and they leave the fair immediately. Gonzo takes flight with his bundle of balloons. Another Uh, scene that, like, stuck in my memory Oh, yeah. Yeah, the Gonzo with the balloons floating around. I, I Just the visual of it is looks great. I love it. They chase after him while they're also being pursued by Hopper. They narrowly escape after they hit a sign that had a comically large pie attached to it that also has fresh whipped cream as well. Uh, the damn pie right hits. Does. Yeah, you're damn right. Of course, like any good comically large pie attached to a giant billboard. Uh, the pie hits Hopper and Max. And uh, the misdirected shot from Hopper from the hit pie uh, shoots down Gonzo and his balloons as he lands back in the car. Later on, Kermit and Miss Piggy get more acquainted as they go out to dinner. And Kermit, Kermit spends or uh, spares no expense to impress her, purchasing the finest champagne you can buy in Idaho. Uh, I read a note that apparently winemakers in Idaho were none too happy about this scene. <laughs> Well, it's that potato wine. Nobody wants it. No one wants a potato wine. Come on now. Like, God bless you for trying, but come on. No I mean, I know, I know wine. we're, uh, I know we're, we're a bit spoiled over here, you know, Napa, Sonoma, all these things, bit. but you know, sorry, Idaho. Yeah. <laughs> I just love that. I'm just imagining, like, the Winemakers Association of Idaho writing a stern letter to Jim Henson. (laughs) How dare you use Steve Martin, the comedic genius of our times, to disparage our fine wine. Who is so funny in the scene. He's so funny in the scene. Steve Martin plays a very annoyed annoyed waiter with very short shorts. (laughs) Who just cannot wait to not be serving them. His sarcasm is so so over the top it's oh my god it's so wonderful <laughs> it's so good him tasting the wine and everything or the champagne and then just like <laughs> him walking away and just like oh my god the rolling his eyes he's so annoying and funny i love him so much uh, piggy's agent then calls the restaurant uh, leaving Kermit alone for much longer than expected. I think she says, I'll only be a minute, and then we cut to him literally nearly asleep uh, at the table. He hears a piano playing nearby, and he meets Rolf the dog and tells him about his less-than-ideal date with Piggy, and the two sing about their woes with the ladies in the song, I Hope That Something Better Comes Along, which uh, this was the B-side when Rainbow Connection is released as a single. The B-side of it is this song with a, a rare duet, of course, between Rolf and Kermit. So this is Jim Henson singing with Jim Henson as two different characters. Got a real Weird Al to it. Very Re- Weird Al-ness to it, yeah. Yeah. Uh, harmonizing on his own vocals. Uh, it, the the soundtrack rec- uh, track listing is so bonkers. Like, Yeah, it's all out of order. Yeah, they put Can You Picture That like way into the middle, like after this song. Yeah. It's just very strange. Yeah, I don't, I don't really get the soundtrack listing for this. Um, I noticed that with some other classic movies we talked about, they also do that, where they throw in like a song that was in the middle of the movie near the end of a soundtrack or by, you know whatever maybe. Um, I don't get it. I honestly yeah. don't really get it. Other than 
this was released on the B side of a single, so maybe they wanted to put it a little higher because people knew it. So mm, I don't okay. know. That's the only thing I can think of. It's a great song, though. I love this song. Yeah. Um, Rolf, a guy who uh, one of the original Muppets, along with with Kermit, of course, who I think even today doesn't quite get his due. Uh, I'll even say on Muppets now, haven't seen a lot of Rolf. In fact, mm. I don't think I've seen any of Rolf so far. So you know what? It's tough. It's I think it's because he doesn't have any catchphrases. He's not a catchphrase guy. He's he's the straight no. man of the Muppets in a lot. Well, Scooter's the straight man of the Muppets. Yeah, but like at least the straight man of the Muppets can kind of fit into a category. You know, it's Rolf is the every man of the Muppets, the mm. every dog, if you will. That's yes. what that's what it is. And you can have a straight man on the Muppets because you can put him in the producer role. But sort of the working man, there's not you know there's not a place I guess for the the working piano dog um, yeah. on the Muppets anymore. There was a time, but maybe not so much. Hmm. The phone rings for Kermit this time at the restaurant, and once again, this is Steve Martin, just so annoyed. <laughs> you Kermit the Frog. <laughs> uh, this time, it turns out that Hopper and Max have kidnapped Miss Piggy, which is why she's been gone so long, um, and are using her as bait to lure Kermit. Kermit arrives at the designated location he's told to go to, and as he opens the door, guns are pointed at him, and he gets tied up immediately. He's tied up with Piggy and a mad scientist, Professor Craftsman, a uh, a uh, evil-sounding German scientist played by Mel Brooks. Of course, Mel Brooks always is like, I bet you he's like, can I be an evil German scientist? <laughs> <laughs> I bet you he asked. He's like, I don't know what you're, don't just tell me to be Mel Brooks. I'm going to be an evil German because that's what Mel Brooks likes to do. Yeah. Uh, Professor Craftsman, uh, this whole bit's really funny with, with Mel Brooks. He tries to brainwash Kermit uh, into performing in Hopper's advertisements. An enraged Miss Piggy knocks out Hopper's henchman and causes Craftsman to be brainwashed by his own device. And uh, this is this is where we first get like uh, the 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 idea that Miss Piggy can like fight in the movies. That she can kick ass. Yeah. yeah. Th- this is now like I mean they kind of do that gag in the Muppet Show that she's of course, always, but like, I mean like in the movies, this is the first like oh yeah, and it becomes a, a an even bigger gag later on. As the movies go, how much she like beats the shit out of me. Oh, yeah. And it's another one where it's technically impressive. Like those kicks that she has are crazy and they look good too. Uh, so, yeah, this is where we first find out of Miss Piggy's karate skills. So, however, immediately after the fight and saving Kermit, Miss Piggy's agent calls once again, finds the hideout, and uh, she seemingly receives a job and immediately takes off for Hollywood on her own and abandons a devastated Kermit. At this moment, the phone projector overheats <laughs> and the film suddenly cuts out. <laughs> uh, another gag that we see in, uh, we see it in a few other, tele- well, the one that comes to mind, I, I'm now realizing it. I kind of threw it out there as a reference uh, when we were talking to Henry Kissinger, but the first SpongeBob movie very much in the same vein of this movie um, mm. in terms of structure where it's literally a bunch of pirates come into the theater to watch the movie in the middle of the movie where everything seems like it's going wrong. We cut to the theater. We see all of them. It's They use very much the same structure and really a lot of the same styles of humor uh, as that movie. So you see the Muppet movie um, inspiration living on many, many years later. 
So yeah, at this moment, we hear some uh, criticism, of course, from Statler and Waldorf, uh, the Swedish chef, his one and only appearance in the movie. Uh, probably the biggest character to get the least amount of time in this movie, I'd argue, right? Yeah. But where are you going to put the Swedish chef in the middle of he, the plot? He got, he got all the main lines in. Yeah, he got all his lines. You know, your herby doofies and scrooby doofies. Yeah. You know, yeah. he, he did his thing. That was enough. And he did a little, you know, he did a little hand signal that we're good. So, yeah. yeah, we got we got our fill of the Swedish chef, I think. He fixes the film and we return to the film. Uh, we rejoin the gang. Plus, Rolf now has joined them, minus Piggy. Uh, as they drive by some con- some of the country's greatest sights as Fozzie sings America the Beautiful. <laughs> also, it's like, where are they going? Where they're like, here's Yosemite, here's Mount Rushmore, here's Yellowstone. Here's like, how did this happen? <laughs> I love oh, it. so ridiculous. As again, it's Fozzie singing. It just adds to the madness of the whole scene. As they drive along, they are reunited with Miss Piggy, who was hitchhiking uh, after she did not end up going all the way to Hollywood. Um, And her and Kermit sort of kind of come to uh, come to amends. Uh, Piggy just gives them a big hug and they seem to be all right after all that. Kermit, just what a nice what a guy. It's just always so forgiving. You know, if we could all just have a Kermit in our lives, we'd all be better off. After receiving a threatening message from Hopper and his new hitman, Snake Walker, their car breaks down in the middle of the desert. Now at nighttime, sitting at a campfire, the group sadly realizes that they will likely miss their audition set for the next day in Los Angeles. At the same time, Gonzo is sort of overwhelmed by the beauty of the desert sky and reflects on their journey so far and the road ahead in uh, the song that I think doesn't get its due i'm going to go back there someday is this is such a like this is like a heartbreaking song to me when i think about this Mm -hmm. song it's so beautiful they reuse it in the muppets from space which is by all accounts the worst muppet movie but using it in the framework of like gonzo is this guy who doesn't know where he's from and he's talking longingly of a place that he doesn't really know. Um, I, I really like this song a lot. It's a really, really beautiful song. Yeah, and it's it's kind of that, like, uh, it has that sensibility, which is finally coming back to kids' movies, which we lost for a while, which is not being afraid to, like, you know, like have kind of a slower song and scene in the middle of a movie. I mean, yeah. now with Pixar stuff, we're getting more of that kind of thing. Yeah. Pixar, but for Pixar a, but for has a, always been good about that, yeah. Yeah, and then like the early 90s Disney classics were as well uh, at certain times. But but there was like a period there where kids' movies were like, has to be flashy all the time. Otherwise, oh well, what are you going to do? Like, it's, right, the dream I mean? worksification of uh, animated movies, basically. Yeah, you, you feel like kids can't sit still for a second to, to you know, to think for a second, basically. Yeah. They can't... They can't you know, feel feel. They're not allowed to feel feelings other than uh, ADD. Yeah. Yeah. Or they're gonna freak out. They're like, you know, if someone's not getting hit, but hit it with a pie in the scene, I'm gonna start wiling out and throwing popcorn. Well, that's the how air. I feel generally. Is I need to see someone getting hit in the face with a pie during every scene yeah. of every movie. Uh, and then coming up next, we have uh, a, a nice callback to for, to an earlier gag. Please continue, Cody. Oh, of course, yes. Because as then Kermit then wanders off after this lovely song is over. Um, ashamed that he dragged his new friends along for what seemed like a failed journey. 
after some personal reflection, talking to himself or sort of some embodiment of his spirit, uh, he returns to camp, discovers that the Electric Mayhem have showed up and have come to the rescue, of course, having learned of their plight by reading ahead in the script. <laughs> Just what a good payoff. It really for a little uh, day six, uh, a day six machina there uh, to have them come back here right at the near the end of the movie. Uh, the electric mayhem offered to drive the entire group the rest of the way in their tour bus. The next day on the bus, they get stopped by the cops as we hear they're playing uh, moving right along. Another reprise of that. But they get stopped by the cops. Turns out the cop is Max in disguise. The group is warned by Max that Hopper has hired an assassin to kill Kermit. Kermit decides that it's time to face him in a good old-fashioned showdown. Hell yeah, Damn Kermit. Right. Once again, we all need a Kermit in our life. They head to a nearby ghost town. say, like, there, there comes a time when you have to stand up to a bully or something yeah. like that? Hell yeah. Go, Kermit. Great life lessons from Kermit. They head to a nearby ghost town perfectly suited for the kind of showdown that is about to take place there. They meet inventor Bunsen Honeydew and his assistant Beaker, who um, doing all of this science in essentially a Western, former Western television set. All right, yeah. whatever floats your boat. Uh, they're perfecting their latest invention, Instagrow pills. Remember that. And also Hopper- the, uh, the water trough that with the, <laughs> the spinning nonsense on it. Oh, yeah, that's right. They're like, oh, yes, my invention, the dancing barrel. Like, yeah. okay. <laughs> here's, so but here's ridiculous. something of more practical use. Oh, no, but then even he's like, this is where we test out our useful inventions after just yeah. mentioning the spinning barrel. <laughs> uh, you know, many. Amazing. Very. Comes in, really comes in handy. Hopper and his cronies arrive, and Kermit confronts him with an appeal to Hopper's own hopes and dreams. But. Hopper will not be moved and orders that his henchmen. One of, the, one of the best gags. It's it's such like you see the gag coming, but it's still funny. He's like, well, if that's what you're going to do, then you're going to have to kill me. All right. And they pause for a long time. Yeah, they do. They, yeah, they, they do. keep it. They drag it. Then he goes, all right, boys, kill him. <laughs> it's just <laughs> so great. So Hopper the, tells his boys. I was, I was gonna say. Yeah. Then you get the uh, the uh, the scared Kermit face, which is just an iconic look where he's just the great. That yeah. yeah. Also, him uh, with the spurs and everything is uh, also great. an iconic is also an iconic image in my brain from my childhood. Yeah, it's great. Everything about the scene, the the, the, the just on a filmmaking level, it looks great. You know, uh, yeah. with Kermit and the spurs, uh, just that yeah, the the gag of you know you already know what's gonna happen, but still when he tells them to go kill him, uh, it's still a great payoff. But they are saved when one of Dr. Bunsen Honeydew's inventions, those Instagrow pills, enlarges Animal temporarily, who then frightens away Hopper and his henchmen, and they're off to Hollywood. Uh, I Also, this was the one scene as a kid. I loved this part. We're just seeing that giant animal head. Yeah. Um, by the way, the animal head you see there, that is a real gigantic puppet there's no camera tricks there that is a 60 foot tall animal head god apparently jim henson was told oh we can do it this way with like blue screen tricks and blah 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 he said no 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 no. i want to build a practical giant animal head and they did it 60 feet tall it's incredible i wonder 
if that is like sitting in an in a hangar warehouse. Yeah, somewhere. where is the sixty foot tall? Or, or did head? they take it apart? Oh God, I hope they didn't. I really hope they didn't. What a shame that would be if they took that apart. Absolute shame. If you know where the animal head is, please give us a tip. Yes. <laughs> I want to see the animal head. There's some show on uh, Disney Plus right now. Actually, they may have covered it. Uh, I have to look it up. There's a whole show about um, props, Disney, like for especially, specifically from like big Disney movies. Oh, so okay. There may have been one actually about the Muppet movie. I think we need to watch it in case okay. they try to find the giant animal head. I bet you the answer is in that. Once the Muppets reach the Hollywood studio, they head to, or reach Hollywood, they head to Worldwide Studios, where they meet with executive Lou Lord, of course, an ode to uh, Lo, uh, Lord Lou uh, Grade. Is that new? Yeah, yes. Anyway, Lord Lou, <laughs> uh, who, of course, was the man who signed off in real life on The Muppet Show. They're blocked by his secretary initially, played by another Mel Brooks uh, favorite, Cloris Leachman. Uh, but once they discover that she has a terrible allergy to animals, just all animals, they find a uh, well-placed giant fan and blow that their blow their dander into her face. Yes, <laughs> it's just the best. She's just like, oh, just in a case in a case of attempted murder, the Muppets <laughs> bully their way into the, the Muppets studio. bully Cloris Leachman to death, and then <laughs> enter Lou Lord's office, played by the one and only. Orson Welles. Yes. Who gets one line in the entire movie. Kermit tells him their story and why they, how hard they've worked to get there. And then he's completely silent, but then says, get the standard rich and famous contract for Kermit the Frog and the Muppets. As everybody celebrates, the Muppets have finally made it. Kermit is overwhelmed by the contract, and we next see him on an empty soundstage as he sings about his dreams finally coming true uh, in the song The Magic Store. And this is where we see the Muppets are putting together the set for their big movie, of course, the movie we just saw, the retelling of their journey to Hollywood, of course. And the first attempt... To perform, the script goes awry as we hear a reprise of Rainbow Connection, everybody, uh, Fozzie and the Electric Mayhem, all where we met them originally. But everything goes awry as Gonzo crashes into the rainbow and the whole thing falls apart, eventually blowing a hole into the roof of the studio. But disaster quickly turns into uh, a bit of kismet as a rainbow shines through the hole and onto the Muppets. Another one where, like, I well up when that happens. Like, every time. You know, just without without hesitation. He's joined by the other Muppet characters, and the Muppets all sing in unison as the film ends. Uh, by the way, this scene, of course, features an incredible array of puppets. Uh, I think about 200 and 50, if I'm not, yes, here we go. This The closing reprise of Rainbow Connection, it features a crowd of more than 250 Muppets. Virtually every Muppet had to be created up to that point, or virtually every Muppet that had been created up to that point in time. According to Jim Henson, uh, according to Jim Henson archivist Karen Falk, quote, 137 puppeteers were enlisted from the Puppeteers of America, along with the regular Muppet performers, to perform every Muppet extent. 
Uh, prior to the day-long filming of the shot, Henson gave the enthusiastic participants a lesson in the art of cinematic puppetry. Amazingly, it did just take one day. Wow. Incredible. Uh, I don't know if you... Did you cover the different run times? There were some different run times, yeah, which we may be watching. Yeah, there there is a different run time, I think, for this movie. Um, yeah, so the UK versions. version has two more minutes. That's right. That's right. And apparently the UK version has a moment at the end where Sweetum shows up and he goes, I just knew I'd catch up with you guys. Whereas the US version, it's this the Rainbow Connection reprise ends and Sweetums bursts through the screen yeah. uh, at the actual screening for all the Muppets after the movie's over. Yeah, apparently there's just like extra reaction shots, a little bit of dialogue yeah. here and there. It's just it's a weird and it's not like it was done before any censorship reasoning or anything like that. I'm just really confused as to why the UK got two more minutes. Well, from what I know of the Muppets, as big as they were here, they were even bigger in the UK. Mm. Uh the Muppets were a, I mean start two minutes? two minutes bigger? <laughs> I mean yeah, you're right. It just seems like it's weird. Like I guess there's a part where when Fozzie's getting heckled in the bar, he honks a horn and then it falls apart in his hands. And he just goes, this is not my night. That would have been a great bit to have in the U.S. version. I don't get it. Like, why yeah. would you not have that? So, I don't know. Maybe uh, the, they just believed that the Brits were more in tune with the Muppet sensibilities than the, the Yankees were. So I hope that something better comes along. About two or three more verses. Wow. That I didn't know. Yeah, so that's, that's interesting. Crazy. Uh, one more note about that final shot. Uh, among the famous non-Muppet performers... That were there, director John Landis, who said in an mm-hmm. interview that he was moving Gonzo for this, and one more would be a small-time puppeteer who was just on the up and cup, uh, the on on the come up in Hollywood. Tim Burton is moving the puppets in this yes. scene. And as I mentioned before, we leave. Sweetums crashes through the movie screen in the theater, ending the film and catching up with the rest of the crew as they congratulate each other on their performances. So before we leave, we are going to uh, make a recurring segment here for our Muppet Month. And um, All look, right. we didn't have March Madness this year. And it's also... Well, now we did. It just had nothing to do with basketball. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. We had, yeah. March pandemic, or I don't, I don't have a, a catchy name for what happened, where the, everybody collectively decided, oh, I think we all have to stop now. I think life needs to stop. At the moment, and uh, glad April to know pan- April pandemic brings May crying and depression. Continue, yep. Cody. Yep, I'm glad that we've all held up our end of the bargain, and that everybody is still, you know, sheltering in place, and uh, you know, doing all. Anyway, uh, let's <laughs> Muppet Madness is what we're doing here. I have gone ahead and ranked 16 Muppets. I apologize to some of the Muppets that didn't make the list here. Uh, any any Paul that you feel like maybe deserved inclusion on the list before we uh, we give our first we go through the round of sixteen. What we're gonna do is we're gonna go through the round of sixteen, and then next week the round of eight, then four, and our final week we will go over the final. But any Muppet that you are uh, taking issue with that is not on this list, I I can't off the top of my head I can't think of any that I would bump any of these names for so yeah yeah i uh it it was tough there's a lot of muppets um to get through i guess there were maybe a few that you can make an argument obviously camilla uh gonzo's girlfriend and many of the chickens uh you've got bobo the bear 
which mm-hmm. that could be a guy Bean Bunny, the often uh, sort of many in many ways much maligned uh, Bean Bunny, who is uh, sort of a uh, oh, who's the cousin in uh, in the Brady Bunch? He's he's essentially that oh. for you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Bo Regard, but I know. Uh, Beauregard, the backstage janitor for the Muppets, Ooh. did not make the list, unfortunately. Uh, Crazy Harry, the pyrotechnic. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, there's 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 a few that, if you didn't hear them, I apologize. Robin, Kermit's nephew, did not make the list. Mm. I apologize to young Robin. But let's talk about the characters who did. So here we go, starting with our 1 versus 16 matchup. Kermit the Frog, the iconic Kermit, versus a relative newcomer to the Muppets, Walter. Walter, of course, making his debut in the 2011 movie The Muppets as another character that I feel like um, many Muppet fans maybe uh, are not as keen on him. I like Walter, but you know what? Sometimes it's like when you see a little too much of yourself in a character, maybe you just you don't like seeing what's looking back at the mirror at you. So... Um, I like Walter, a very sweet character, Has is one of the few Muppets other than Kermit to be the lead in a Muppet movie, I mm-hmm. should mention. So he's got that going for him, but uh, this I don't even know why I'm delaying it any further. I feel like we all know the answer here for the first matchup. Yeah, obviously it's Walter. Go ahead, Cody. God damn it, Paul. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't know how we're going to do a tiebreaker here. Uh, we'll have to figure something out. No, it's, 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 it's Kermit. I yeah. Mean, come on. I mean, it's Kermit. Kermit. The number one guy, uh, he's he's the man. If Kermit can't do it, no one can. Uh, let's go to our eight versus nine matchup. I well, think- well, I'll tell you what we could do, Cody. Yes. If we do tie on someone here, what we can do is on Twitter, we could put a poll up between two Muppets that okay. we have tied on. All right. And just and just simply put, who's the better Muppet? Who's the better Muppet? And just put both of them. And then see, right. what this, see what it says. I like it. Fair enough. I think we'll do that. That'll be the tiebreaker. All right. The eight versus nine matchup. This is a tough one. Two characters that could not be bigger polar opposites, but also two characters that I feel like are not necessarily one note is not the right way to put it, but certainly like they've got a joke that they keep going at and they do it well. That would be the number eight seed, Sam Eagle, versus the number nine seed, Swedish Chef. Mm. This is a hard one. I think this is a really, really hard one. Well, they're very much in the same vein. And that one is a very American uh, puppet, a, and the a, other one, yeah. and the other one massively makes fun of Europeans, which is a very American thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, Sam the Eagle almost a send up of American patriotism. It's funny yes. because he is sort of like seen as like, oh yes, love Sam the Eagle, all about American, but really he's kind of spoofing uh, the overzealous American patriot. Oh, yeah. I have um, a great uh, Disney pin. Uh, from July Fourth, and it's a giant American flag, and it has Sam the Eagle on it, and he's wearing like a, you know, like the Pawtucket Patriot hat, like the, that kind of thing. So, very nice. Uh, w- because of that, sorry, Swedish Chef, but I'm gonna give it to Sam the Eagle. Well, Paul, I think we have our first tie. Oh shit! To me, it's a tough matchup, but not really when I think about it. Swedish Chef in like. In a blowout for me. 
Oh, okay. it's, the, it's the guy. I love me some Swedish chef. He's a guy that I will always crack up whenever there's a Swedish chef bit. They're some of my favorite bits of The Muppet Show. Uh, love those human hands. Everything about it just works for me. It's so funny and so silly. So um, there you go. That'll be the first one. We'll have to find a, a, a tiebreaker for Swedish yep. chef for Sam Eagle. Put that poll up. Go, go and do our 5 versus 12 matchup. So I originally just put Animal as the 5 seed, but I realized that's really unfair to the rest of Dr. Teeth and the Electric Mayhem. Of course, I talk about Dr. Teeth himself, Floyd, Janice, Zoot, uh, and of course, Animal. Uh, you also got Lips, uh, who is a later addition of the trumpet player uh, to the yes. band. So Animal and Dr. Teeth and the Electric Mayhem versus another musically inclined Muppet, one of the OGs, Rolf. Rolf the dog, who hits those keys, those sweet ivories, and uh, does a hell of a job doing it. So are you going with the original musician, or are you going with the flashier animal plus Dr. Teeth and the Electric Mayhem? Aurora Borealis, shining down in Dallas. Can you picture that? Yeah. Yeah, uh, it's it's unfair. Sorry, Rolf, but... uh, Rolf... It it was not your fault, Ralph. Twas the writers for giving you less of a personality than Doctor Teeth and the Mayhem. I'm sorry. It's just, yeah, it's just... exactly. I, he kind of gets the short end of the stick as the years go by. I would love to see a resurgence of Rolf the dog. Uh, he's he's a fun character. This movie makes me love him even more. He's also yeah. great in the Muppets. I think he gets a lot of time to shine. So uh, I, would I love, love the to see yeah. The, there's a great gag in the Muppets when he's like, yeah. "Hey, you didn't tell him about my part." And then he goes and yes. he's just sitting in a hammock and he goes, hey, we're, we're going to stop the evil oil guy. And he goes, OK. And that's it. And yeah. then it cuts back to him and he goes, huh, classic. <laughs> it's a great gig. It's a it's great, great. It's a great. It's a great gimmick. I love it. So but. we love you, Rolf, but a tough a, a tough draw here. It's got to be Animal and, and Dr. Teeth and the Electric Mayhem. Uh, just they just got too much flash. So there we go. That's our five versus twelve. How about four versus 13 here? We got Gonzo versus another one that is a 90s newcomer, Pepe the Prawn. Um, Who's very funny. Pepe's, Pepe's funny, man. Funny. Pepe's funny. I like Pepe. And uh, Pepe the King Prawn has has really grown through the years. He's now got a whole segment on Muppets Now who he's been featured more heavily than even Gonzo himself so far, which I mm. might take a little issue with, but he's also a really funny character. Uh, it's a tough one, though. I mean, I, I, another one where I feel like we're just defending uh, Pepe, but Gonzo is the great it's Gonzo. Gonzo for a reason. Yeah, Gonzo. It's Gonzo. He's hilarious. What is yeah. he, a bird? Who knows? Anyway, he's Gonzo. He's an alien. He's a bird. He's Gonzo the Great, and we love him, and he's clearly going on to the next round our next one again to you want to talk about pairing up two polar opposites we have scooter the uh genial uh you know uh, mild-tempered producer of the muppet show the man who pulls all the strings versus the two men trying to basically make his life and the muppet's life a living hell statler and waldorf and i'm just gonna go on a limb right now and scooter Nice guy, really good guy. Keeps those. I mean, those Muppets can be really off the wall and really tough to handle. So I commend him. But Stadler and Waldorf, to me, have the potential 
to win this whole damn thing. I'm going Statler and Waldorf in a landslide here. Yeah, unfortunately, it's just the way it is. I mean, there's there's actually a Diamond Select uh, f- set of figures of Statler and Waldorf that's in a plastic like oh. uh, balcony. And I wanted to get it just so I could have it like in the background on my wall. Just Perfect. so like it looks like far away, there's just Statler and Waldorf constantly watching and critiquing everything I'm doing in life. And uh, <laughs> they're so funny. They're so funny. It's so and, funny. You know, once again, it, it, it comes to like, sorry, kind of not sorry, but it's Statler and Waldorf. Come yeah, on. It's Statler and Waldorf. No, no question. They move on to the next round. Um, also, I, I don't know if I read this somewhere or if I just dreamed that it would be an incredible idea. Boy, if there was ever, if Disney ever gave a shit again, uh, at least a little more about the Muppets, um, an incredible addition to any of the Disney theme parks would be a la the uh, New York couple at Universal Studios hanging out the window. Imagine Mm. walking into a Muppets area and Statler and Waldorf are just there all day critiquing people as they walk by. (laughs) It's just rat and just just roasting people as they walk by. Oh my God. I would love that so much. Yeah. The only way I could see it happening is if they had like a Muppet ride, another one. Yeah. That, uh, like I'm, I'm thinking of a uh, Mr. Potato head outside the, uh, yep. Very, very similar to that is yeah. except it would be, they would have a lawsuit on their hands for getting to someone would get so upset. Uh, I believe there was supposed to be the, a Muppet ride that was going to be like the great movie ride but it was going to be with Muppets instead. It was going to be a spoof of a ride, a ride that was a spoof of another ride. Oh, God, if only. If yeah. only. If only Michael Eisner had stuck around and be like, we're going to do everything with the Muppets because I've always wanted to do everything with the Muppets. Would have been amazing. Yeah. All right, our last few matchups here. Let's go with uh, two of the goofier and hairier characters. We're going to go with Fozzie Bear, uh, the... Uh, hapless comedian and best friend of Kermit the Frog versus Sweetums. Sweetums, who uh, really relies more on physical comedy uh, rather than the actual jokes. So you've got someone who is more on the joke side of the comedy. you got someone who really is in tune with the physical side of the comedy. Sweetums himself, I always just got a kick out of Sweetums because it's just literally a guy and it's in like a big bird sort of costume. Uh, yeah. It's a big puppet costume. An amazing also, costume. Also, uh, as a, when uh, you watch Muppet Vision 3D, uh, an actual Sweetums comes out, and it's yes. awesome. So it's, great. It's the coolest part of the whole thing to me is when Sweetums comes out. Um, that said, I mean, it's got to be Fozzie here. Yeah, Waka Waka, it's Fozzie. Waka Waka, baby. It's Fozzie. So Fozzie moves on to the next round. Here's another tough one. <laughs> We're going to go with a relative, another relative newcomer, a guy who came around. Uh, he might have always been around, but really came into his own in the late 80s, early 90s. That would be Rizzo the Rat. Becomes something of a sidekick to Gonzo, really, in which the is 90s. Already, which is already so funny that they made like a Ratso Rizzo yes. play on Puppet. Like, it's so silly. It's so good. It's so good. They're, and they're a great pair, too. Gonzo and Rizzo are, are a really good pair. Uh, but the goes up against Beaker and Professor Honeydew, uh, which, again, you can't separate the two. 
Beaker and Honeydew themselves as characters are great. Uh, Beaker especially, I think, really uh, is the icing on that cake of that duo. This one is a little tougher, I think, than I uh, than I might have given it credit for. I thought it was more of a slam dunk, but uh, I think Rizzo puts up a good fight here. What do you think? I actually go with Rizzo. Ooh, why so? Why so? And I and I have three words for you: Muppet Christmas Carol. Oh yeah, he is so funny. And so good. The way he just keeps falling and getting hit by he makes I, I have I remember laughing at Rizzo in that movie so much when I was a child. And I love him in that movie. For me, it, it it's it's Rizzo, which is it's it's Ooh. crazy because he's a newer character, but for me, I'm a Rizzo man. I'm a Rizzo man. Paul, it, you may have just convinced me because I thought this was Beaker and Honeydew the whole way. But like the more I thought about Rizzo, I was like, man, he's gotten a lot of moments through the years as a Muppet character. And you're right. Muppet Christmas Carol might take him over the top. Whereas Beaker and Honeydew, you want I mean, I love them. But you want to talk about evolution? Is there much there in terms of evolution? Maybe not. Yeah. You know what? This is our first upset. Rizzo. Moves on to the next round. Rizzo, you know what? Muppet Pyrrhus, send in your at Cody Pasby. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, everyone. Rizzo, look, I just put look, I just put yeah. yours in there. Yeah, not mine. thanks. Thanks a lot. <laughs> you were the one who convinced me. And um, finally, another one that feels pretty easy, but let's talk about it. Uh, yeah. Miss Piggy again. The if she is the the Minnie Mouse to Kermit's Mickey Mouse here, uh, one of the other main mascots of the Muppet franchise, and I'm putting her up against Uncle Deadly, who is a character that has actually been around for a while, but hasn't really developed a personality till very recently. Uh, was one of the henchmen, one of the villains in the Muppets, and most yeah. recently was feature has been featured with Miss Piggy on Muppets Now as a um, sort of assistant to her on her little segment she does, and is hysterical. Their chemistry, sort of like uh, their back and forth, uh, where she's just sniping at him, and uh, he's got these little quick-witted, uh, sort of uh, very snappy and. Uh, um, you know, he got a lot of great comebacks at her are awesome. And I'm, I'm glad they're u- utilizing this character and doing something different with him. But it's Miss Piggy. Yeah, I mean, I, I appreciate. I mean, Uncle Deadly has his fans. I mean, yeah. Bill Maher has been cosplaying as Uncle Deadly for the past 10 years. <laughs> um, <laughs> look at a side by side photo, people. I'm telling you right now. Look at a side-by-side photo of Bill Maher and Uncle Deadly, and you will have a guffaw of a time. It is so funny. Um, but, you know, it's it's Miss Piggy. Miss Piggy's hilarious. She's funny. She has great songs. Um, you know, the dynamic between her and the other Muppets is always great. Everything about it, you know? And Uncle Deadly is great in the Muppets. Yeah, he is. He's great. Yeah. I'm glad that he's gotten more time to shine recently, And uh, but, yeah, let's, let's be honest. You know, it's Piggy. Once you get to the, the, you know, the piggy and Kermit of it all, it's kind of hard to do anything of that. All right. So to run it down, here's what we got for next week. Here's our matchups. We've got, in the next round, we've got Kermit versus To Be Determined, Sam Eagle or Swedish Chef. We've got Dr. Teeth and the Electric Mayhem versus Gonzo. Statler and Waldorf versus Fozzie. And Rizzo 
versus Miss Picky. <sighs> oh boy. They call it the Elite Eight for a reason, Paul. Damn right. It doesn't get much more elite than Rizzo the Rat. <laughs> well, uh, let us know between San Eagle and Swedish Chef. We need to know who is who reigns supreme. Is it page? Is it a spoof of patriotism or an American spoof of European <laughs> chefs? <laughs> we must know. Our lives depend on it. Until then, ask not sure what your country can for do, can do for you, but ask <laughs> what your country de Flurkenbergen Durgen. <laughs> All right. Until then, make sure to go to our website, moviemusicalpod.com. Make sure to subscribe to us and review us and rate us on Apple Podcasts. We'll appreciate it. And uh, make sure to like us on Facebook and to follow us on Twitter, both at Movie Musical Pod. You can follow me on Twitter at Cody Pasby. I'm at the Paul Ponte. You can also check out paulponte.com to check out my music, my photography, and my other podcast projects. And someday we'll find it, the end of this podcast. In fact, it's right now. Until next time, I'm Cody Pasby. I'm Paul Ponte. And we will see you down the yellow brick road. Bye.